Good evening, everyone. It's great to uh, share with you all in uh, public worship and also particularly uh, around God's Word. And we're going to have a little uh, break uh, from the sermon series on the Lord's Supper, and Huge has asked me to preach on Psalm 1. Please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to be still and silent and humbly come under your word, its truth, its teaching, its authority. And we pray that through the Holy Spirit, we might not just be hearers, but above all, doers of your word, that our lives might glorify you. Amen. Uh, there is a sermon outline that... Uh, you might like to look at. And in the morning service, the person who led the service said, who is Sophia? And I thought he, he must know something. And then he said, we're going to find out in the sermon. Well, you'll have to wait until we get to the last point. Life uh, is about choices. You and I are making choices all the time. And if you have been following the news in Melbourne, just the other week, Andrew Thorburn, who was previously the CEO of one of our big banks, NAB, he was faced with a choice because he was offered and he was given and he started the dream job. The dream job for him as the CEO of the football team, Essendon. That's the Bombers. But the choice he had to make, and he made it within 30 hours... Choose the football team or choose your church. And the name of his church is uh, City on the Hill. It's an Anglican church. But a church that takes the Bible seriously and the teaching of the Bible seriously and the way of life that the Bible teaches seriously. And as you know, Andrew Thorburn chose his church. That is, he chose God. And it was a difficult choice for him. But he made that choice nonetheless. And as we sit here tonight, perhaps many of you are faced with choices, and they're not easy choices to make. Well, in the book of Psalms, which we call the Psalter, the psalmist, sometimes the name of the psalmist is not given, but often we're told it's the Psalm of David. The psalmist is faced with a choice. The choice might be to trust in God or to trust in military might. Or to trust that God would vindicate the psalmist or take action in here and now to seek revenge. Or a choice between trusting in God and move forward in life. Or complain and lament the unfairness and the injustices faced at the hands of others. A choice to praise God for all that he has done. Or consider himself, the psalmist, or David, how great he is and what he's been able to achieve in his own strength and wisdom and might. A choice between thanking God for all that God has done for him or to take God's provision for granted. You're probably facing choices at this very moment. Do you realize that the book of Psalms, the Psalter, was the actual prayer book? 
and the hymn book of Jesus. And our catechism question is about Jesus as a human being. And the emphasis was that as a human being, as a genuine and true human being, full human being, he might sympathise with our weaknesses. He faced temptations. He faced many choices. And we will never know to what extent the book of Psalms was a source of direction, a source of encouragement, and a source of challenge for him as a human being at every point when he made a choice. We're going to look at Psalm 1, and it introduces the whole book of Psalms. You might know that um, there are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, and Psalm 150, the last psalm, is a psalm of praise. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. We've had three sermons already. And the first sermon reminds us about intimacy with God, a special personal relationship with God. That's what prayer is about, our Father. And if you read through the book of Psalms, and that's what I would like to encourage you to do, work out your routine monthly quarterly, whatever, try and read through the Psalms on a semi-regular basis. And you'll note that quite a few of the Psalms address God as Lord. That's all in capitals, L-O-R-D, in capitals. And that's a reference to God's covenant name. And it's a reference to the special covenant relationship between the psalmist, sometimes it's an individual, sometimes it's the community, that special intimacy with God. The second point we've learned so far in the sermon series on the uh, uh, Lord's Prayer is about the holiness and the greatness of God. And that he's a just God. He will bring justice, he will vindicate the righteous, and he will punish the unrighteous. And because he is a sovereign Lord, because he is king, the all-powerful king, Nothing can stop God's plan. And that's reflected in the Psalms. And the third thing we've learned so far in this sermon series on the Lord's Prayer is dependence upon God. And as you read through the book of Psalms, David in particular refers to God as my rock, my fortress, my tower, my salvation, and so on. Well, Psalm 1 challenges and exhorts us to choose the right path or way in life. I'm going to do some research on the Greek word. Thank you. It's pronounced tetelestai, by the way. Um, but it's, it's a very interesting thought. So normally we don't use foreign languages, you know, because that's showing off. But I want to use the Hebrew word for path or way, and it's the word Derek. That's our nephew's name. Have you met Derek? At Adelona's place? No. You'll meet Derek one day. He's a great fisherman. He has his boat, he catches huge fish outside sitting here. Derek is a Hebrew word for way or path. And this is what this psalm is about, choosing the right path and staying on the right path. And we could use Derek as an acronym, dedicate every day to rely on every promise of the king. So we're going to look at uh, two paths, two attitudes, two actions, and two consequences. And I want to read again verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So I've already mentioned God's covenant name or God's personal name, uh, Lord, all in capitals, and it reminds us the context or the background of this psalm is the special covenant relationship between God and his chosen people. I whispered to Alan, the first song that the team chose, I don't recall singing it before. But I had to write down the words of the first verse because it talks about your love is devoted. I'm trying to read my doctor's handwriting. Your love is devoted like a ring of gold, and I've missed the next line, like a covenant of old. And so the first song that we sang in praise of God as we commenced our service reminds us that God is the covenant God. And, and in the Old Testament times, in ancient Near East, a big, powerful nation, technical word is called suzerain, would enter into covenant relationship with smaller nations, small nations, and they're called vassals. And so it was a mutual thing. And God's covenant with his chosen people, Israel, was modelled on that because that was their context, that was their age. But God's covenant was all of grace. But the, the features, the way the covenant was designed um, mirrored these suzerain covenant treaties. So there was covenant promises. God, would give, God gave his promises. and we, we sang he's faithful to his promises. But there were stipulations that his people needed to keep or instructions. And there was a written record of the covenant. And we know that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And then there was the sealing of the covenant and there, was, uh, there were frequent covenant renewal celebrations. Uh, I think there was a wedding recently and there might be a wedding coming up soon. And the two most important words in the wedding service are? The two most important words in English of the wedding service are? If you don't know, don't get married. The two most important words are? Wrong. It's I will. In the American service, I do. In the American service, I do. In the English service, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father says, I do. Or mum and dad says, we do. But in the actual marriage vow, you know, will you take this woman? Will you take this man? And the answer is, say it together, I will. It's a conscious act of the will. And it's a covenant vow. And you seal it with the exchange of rings. What did we sing earlier? Your love is devoted like a ring of gold, like a covenant of old. Covenant renewal celebrations. How many years? Those have been married. How many years have you been married? Do you have, do you have special anniversaries, you know? Well, if you look at some of the Psalms, they, their context is a covenant renewal ceremony. We remember how God instituted the covenant, and we give thanks and praise to him. And, of course, there was a covenant sign. It was circumcision. And what's related to this psalm, and it's the final chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, there are blessings of the covenant, but there are curses if you don't keep the stipulations. So with this sort of background in mind, the psalmist says, blessed is the man who lives according to God's word and doesn't follow the wicked. Now, that's reading the psalm from the context of the Old Testament. But you and I today are reading this psalm through the context of the new covenant. Jesus has come. And uh, going back to the 
Catechism, it says that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law. So the law has been fulfilled in Christ and his righteousness is given to us as a gift and theologians say this, uh, use the word imputed, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and it's all of grace. And it's because we are in this relationship, because we are in this covenant relationship, we live according to God's instruction, according to God's word. Does anyone know why today is a special day? Not somebody's birthday. It's not a day when somebody made a big decision in life, but hasn't told us yet. What's special about today? It's Reformation Sunday. Did you know that? It's the day we, Protestants around the world, celebrated that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the uh, door of the castle church in Wittenberg. And one of the sayings, or one of the slogans at the time of the Reformation was, Scripture alone, sorry, grace alone. Because the covenant relationship is all of grace. And that's what Psalm 1 is about. Because you're in this special relationship, because of grace, you need to respond correctly. So that's for the righteous person. What about the unrighteous person? Because the unrighteous person chooses the path of self-made righteousness. You define what righteousness is and say, I'm a righteous person. I know better than God how to run my life, and I want to be king over my own life. So Psalm 1 introduces the whole book of Psalms, but if you look at Psalm 2, it's actually a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the coming uh, Son of God, the coming King. And verse 12 of Psalm 2 talks about way, but the way of the unrighteous. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. What is the F word that our society like to use? It's not the four-letter one that you're thinking of, you might be thinking of. What is the F word? It's the last word of the film Braveheart. Someone in the morning service, his favourite film is Braveheart. What is the last... It's a film about a Scottish uh, hero. Is it, uh, is it Robert Wallace? But it starred... Um, um, <coughs> what's the Australian actor? Um, Mel Gibson. He grew up in Parramatta. You knew that, of course. You didn't know that? He's Australian? You know he's Australian. He grew up in Parramatta. What's the last word of the film Graveheart? Freedom! Correct. Top of class, uh, Terry. (coughs) Have another chuppa-chup. Gives you inspiration. And that's the catch cry of the word. I want freedom to do what I want. That's the attitude of the unrighteous person in the world that we live in. Have you ever met a genuine atheist? <coughs> Have you? Has anyone ever met a genuine atheist? Now, what do I mean by genuine atheist? A person who truly, genuinely, and honestly takes the view that logically and philosophically it makes no sense to believe in 
the idea of an all-powerful God who created the world. They say that's nonsensical. Have you met someone who takes that view? And if you have, it would be interesting to see how they use the word God in a sentence, because if God is nonsensical, how could you use it in a sentence? The reality is that most people who call themselves atheists, they are not convinced that God is, and they say you can't convince that God is, and God exists. And they say that even if God does exist, I don't want God in my life. That's what an atheist is. I don't want God in my life. And they choose to live without God in their lives. And so it's a choice, not a conviction. And the challenge is that you and I are surrounded by people who have this attitude. And therefore, the way that they choose, the path of life that they choose, is to exclude God. And if you look at the people around you who live this way, some of them are doing well in their career. They're doing well in their property, uh, you know, uh, acquisitions. They're doing well in relationships. They've got good health. They've got a bright future ahead of them and so on and so on. And you and I might be struggling you and I might be facing the challenges of life. And we might be tempted. As Israel was surrounded by the Canaanites, gee, the Canaanites, their crops are are healthy and fruitful and so on. Uh, The Babylonians could do this, the Assyrians could do it. The Egyptians. And so we're surrounded by people who choose to live away excluding God. And we're attempting to adopt their attitude. Well, there are two attitudes. There's the one of the righteous person who delights in the law of the Lord and the unrighteous person who ignores it. We're told for the righteous person, his or her delight is on the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Some of you here are trained lawyers and uh, it's one of the... um, not helpful things in translation that the word uh, law, uh, the Hebrew word Torah, is translated as law because we, we often think of law in a legal or forensic sense. But a more accurate translation is revealed instruction or covenant stipulations or covenant guidelines. Law is not incorrect, but that's not the best way of it. If we look at the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, chapters 5 to 7, it's effectively Jesus replacing the Torah or the, uh, of the Old Testament with his Torah, with his word, with his revealed uh, uh, instructions for life as his disciple. And which means for us as, 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 as believers, the whole Bible read with Christ at the centre. And we are told that he meditates he or she meditates day and night. And um, I don't know if you grew up in Hong Kong, but I've, I've observed people in Hong Kong when they do arithmetic, mathematics like 25 times 34, something in your head. Don't they say what they, they, they verbalize it? You know, they, they, they actually verbalize it before they get the answer. And that's a cultural thing. 
And some people talk aloud or, or think aloud or read the Bible aloud. And that's what's behind this word meditate. It's a way of verbalizing as a means of internalizing God's word. That's the righteous person. What about the unrighteous person? They devise their own manifesto or their own principles for living, which means God is excluded. What's the purpose of life? What am I going to achieve in life? These are my uh, principles for living. Has anyone here ever met a Nobel Prize winner? I did once. Many years, I think the year was 67, I get all my years mixed up. His name was Sir McFarlane Burnett. Uh, he, he, won, he won it for immunology. Um, you could Google it. And I was at the Pack Lecture Theatre at a famous university uh, in Camperdown that some of you have come from. And at the end of the lecture, you know, applause, and uh, it was about his research, uh, 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 immunology of chick embryos and so on. The first question, oh, Sir McFarlane, Sir McFarlane, oh, so inspired by your speech. What a great, can you give us, can you give us tips? How do you live? You know, what, what guidelines do you use for life? And he gave them ten maxims. Maxim is not a French restaurant. M-A-X-I-M is sort of like pithy sayings. Ten things, you know. And this is typical of the non-righteous person, good citizen of society, with God completely excluded from their lives. That's what the unrighteous person does. They work out their own way of living. Completely excluding the creator and the creator's manual for life. And of course, as we know, our woke society, or society that's progressively getting more work, regards the Bible as out of date. It was okay for them hundreds of years ago, but it's out of date today. You know, space-age technology and so on. And worse than out of date, there are people who say in the media, the Bible is evil. And why is the Bible evil? because of what it teaches about sexuality, because of what it teaches about abortion, because of what it teaches about this, that, and the other, many other topics. And we're seeing, if, uh, we're seeing attempts now by the Work Brigade to rewrite history and expunge all references to God's word. The righteous person truly immerses himself or herself in God's word. So what's your own attitude of Scripture? Do you have a high view of Scripture? Do you refer to it when it's convenient and when it's not convenient? Mm, push it to one side. Well, the ins- Christians believe that the Bible is God's inspired word for how we should live. So I said today is <coughs> Reformation Sunday. The other slogan is uh, scripture alone, and that's uh, in Latin, sola scriptura. So two paths, two attitudes, and now two actions. Because we can either walk and talk in the way of the Lord, or we can walk and talk in the way of those who mock the Lord. I was uh, at an induction service of an Indonesian pastor, 
last night, and my Indonesian friends, they like acronyms. And uh, you know that NATO has been mentioned a lot uh, because of the, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, particularly from the, the Russian point of view. Very upset about NATO moving more and more eastward towards Russia. Can you guess what my Indonesian friends think uh, NATO is an acronym for? Some of you might have heard it from me before. It's an acronym for No Action Talk Only. No Action Talk Only. You know there are action words in the English language. This is English grammar, and they're called verbs. And look at Psalm 1, the number of verbs. Walk, stand, sit, meditate. And so the righteous person is the person who walks and talks in the way of the Lord. Not just walking, because if you're walking in the way of the Lord, people can see that, that you're walking differently from them. You're living differently from them. But talking is explaining why you're walking the way that you're walking. Talking is explaining the way that you live, the way, uh, why you're living the way that you live. And in today's work society, if we explain our convictions about what we believe and how we should live, it could be a threat to them because they don't want to hear. In the uh, book of Acts, and I think it is four or five references to this, the followers of Jesus were known as followers of the way. And that comes originally from John 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And uh, one, one, uh, one such reference is uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Paul, when he was still Saul, was going to Damascus because he wanted to capture and put into prison followers of the way. And this reminds us of the beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. Now, some of you are Chinese educated. Do you know how it's translated in Chinese? Those of you who have been to China, you know, perhaps, as part of Chinese studies. Well, in the beginning was the Tao. Now, if you know anything about Chinese literature, Chinese philosophy... That's a word full of lots and lots of meaning. And it fits in well with our, with our Psalm 1. Two, the right path, the right attitude, and the right action based on the right path and the right attitude. So that's for the righteous person. What about the unrighteous person? You know, in Old Testament times, when a battle was fought and won and lost, the victorious nation would say, we beat you. Our God is greater than your God. Our God is superior. For example, if you look at the time of the exile, around about 600 BC, when the Babylonians defeated the Israelites and uh, destroyed Jerusalem, the Babylonians said, our God, Marduk, their sun God, defeated your God, defeated Yahweh, defeated the God that you believe. Why do you keep on believing in him? Why don't you swap sides? Come over to worship Marduk. Does anyone remember the group Boney M? Maybe you can uh, 
Google it. B-O-N-E-Y, and then the letter M, M for mother. They had a big hit. I get all my years mixed up. But you may have heard of the, the hit, By the Rivers of Babylon. Have you heard that one? You Google it. It's Psalm 137. And what is Psalm 137 about? It is the Israelites in exile in Babylon. And the Babylonian captain says, Sing for us one of your songs from Israel. We want to hear it. That's what the unrighteous does. They make fun. You mean you believe that Bible stuff? You really believe your God exists and does this and that? Answers prayer? In today's world, the attitude is, we know better. And what is the mantra of today's world? You've heard me say this many times. The science has settled it. The science has settled it. Don't believe it. Science is about models for explaining what we see. And the models get better and better. Um, but they're models. The models get fine-tuned. And, you know, because of that, we, there's robotics for robotic surgery. There's things like computers and laptops. What will we have in the future? Who knows? Remember the phrase? The science has settled it. Warragamba Dam will never be filled with water again. That's what the scientists said, or certain scientists said. They're keeping quiet now. Well, there are two consequences. Because there are eternal consequences. In our daily talk speech, we talk about short-term goals and long-term goals. And I don't know how many of you have thought this way, um, but one, one way of thinking is, you know, we work hard, we work hard, we work hard in the short term, so that in the long term, can you finish? In the long term, we can enjoy a life of retirement. Don't believe it. People talk about short-term goals, long-term goals, and so on. But far more important, we should be talking about eternal goals. Verse 3 says, The righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he's prosperous. A righteous person lives a fruitful life. A righteous person lives a prosperous life, fruitful and prosperous from God's perspective. I attended a funeral Thanksgiving service uh, last Monday of an Australian lady who uh, was born in Lura and grew up in the Blue Mountains. And in the 50s, I think in the late 50s, went to Indonesia, East Java, uh, to teach in a Bible college. And I had a, uh, the privilege of meeting her once uh, in 1987. We were in Singapore in those days, but I was asked to go and teach in this college, and I met her. And she's a quiet Australian lady. You wouldn't know much about her. But, uh, but I, I was fascinated to meet her because she had translated the most important uh, Greek grammar book. People learning New Testament Greek were all using this book. She translated that into Indonesian. And I had a copy and I was using it with my students. And in those days, you know, we didn't have photocopying. We didn't have printing. Um, so we had to type stencils and then print them with a the printing machine. You can, you can um, Google cassette machines. 
And, of course, when you write different fonts or scripts, you have to write them by hand. You have to use a stylus and cut into the stencil. And she wrote all those Greek words and so on, you know, all in line. And uh, at her funeral Thanksgiving, you know, there were a few slides. It didn't show too much about what she had done. From a human point of view, what sort of life was that? What did she achieve in some small Javanese town? But she was truly used by God, fruitful life, a prosperous life from God's perspective. And verses 4 and 5 talks about the consequences of the, of the wicked. And they have these consequences because that's their choice. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly uh, of the righteous. English is one of those languages when we can look at nuances between different terms. And there's a difference, there's a world of difference between existence and life. Between existence and life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they, that he's referring to his sheep, I have come that my sheep might have life and have it to the full. That is, live the life for which our creator God purposed our life to be and created us for. Not so that we get there like chaff that the wind blows away. Most of us have little or no experience of uh, agricultural life. Uh, but this was uh, a society that de- depended on agriculture. So let's, let's do the mathematics just in general terms. So you sow the seed, and then you water and look after the seed, and what happens to the seed? It grows and produces a fruit. Uh, Sorry, it produces a a grain, cereal. Let's say it's wheat. So what do you do when you harvest? You have to separate uh, the bits you don't eat, which is called the chaff, uh, from the the wheat, from from the grain. And the grain's heavier. Uh, what do you do with the grain? Does anyone know? Not a trick question. What do you do with the grain? Trick question? You eat it. It's a source of food. What was our sermon last Sunday? Give us today our daily bread. It comes from flour, from grain. Right? No grain, no bread, no food. What else do you do with the grain? Does anyone know? Come on. What did you study at uni? Did you study or you just sort of tick the boxes, you know, one to five or something? What? You keep some for the winter months. Have you ever lived through winter? What are you going to eat during winter? So you have to keep it in a way that it's dry and it's not attacked by pests or, 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 or uh, um, uh, uh, you know, mould and... and, and oh, sorry. All right. And what else do you do with the grain? Come on, some of you, think ahead, think ahead. What else do you do with the grain? You keep some for seed for the next season. Because if you eat it all, next season, nothing to eat. And that's why uh, someone uses this agricultural... Um, planted by streams of water, use its fruit... There'll be ample grain. It won't be a problem balancing to anticipate how much will we need for the winter. If, you, if you've got it wrong, you don't have enough for winter. 
if you keep too much, we don't have enough eating now and so on, you know, maybe it's good, we'll get thinner, thinner, lose weight. But this was meant to be a, a picture of the long term, that is eternity. And the righteous person has life from eternity. And so this is our challenge today. Do you and I look at our lives, our lives from the perspective of eternity? Ephesians 1 verse 4, Paul teaches us that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation, the creation of the world. So we're chosen for eternal life with God. There's life beyond death because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So we should look at life from eternity to eternity. Do you remember the uh, verse receiving of grace that Alan read for us earlier on? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's talking about eternity. Well, I'm not so good with uh, music. Uh, have you heard of John Lennon? John Lennon? John Lennon? Beatles? John Lennon? He had a song called Imagine. Imagine? Have you heard of Imagine? Imagine. Right? Imagine. There's no heaven no hell below us, above us, only sky. Well, I want to introduce you to a song that almost certainly none of you have ever heard of. Uh, it's uh, by a group called Blood, Sweat and Tears. I've put it on my Facebook post. And the, the song is, And When I Die. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about consequences. We're talking about choices. We're talking about attitudes. We're talking about the way that we live. We're talking about short-term, long-term but more importantly, about eternal goals. And the unrighteous person ignores the concept of eternity because if you go to a non-Christian funeral, they don't talk about funeral. It's a celebration of life. What a great life he or she had. They don't talk about death. They don't talk about where are they now. They don't want to say anything. But surely if the science has settled it, you've got something to say. Let me read the words of this famous song. And when I die, blood, sweat and tears. My troubles are many. They're as deep as a well. I can swear there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell. Swear there ain't no heaven and pray there ain't no hell. But I'll never know by living, only my dying will tell. Only my dying will tell. Yeah, only my dying will tell. And when I die, and when I'm gone, there'll be one child born in the world to carry on, carry on. And that's life for them. I'm going to die, that's it, but there's going to be a child. Life will go on. Will it? I haven't been very good getting answers to my questions. Has anyone heard of Blaise Pascal? I could almost bet nobody's heard of Blaise Pascal. It's meant to be a pun. French. Pascal, you know. Famous Pascal's wager, that, that's the word bet. You can Google it. Because he said, we don't know for sure. Let's say we don't know for sure that there's going to be eternal judgment. But let's live today as if there is eternal judgment. Because if we're wrong, there's no eternal judgment, well, we've lived our life in, in light of it, and, well, no big deal. You know, maybe we could have done other things with our life, but no big deal. 
But supposing there is eternal judgment and we didn't live in anticipation, boy, we're going to miss out. So 50-50, which way are you going to bet? That's Blaise Pascal. Uh, this is another trick question. Has anyone heard of Immanuel Kant? No? Yes, he has. Uh, North Sydney Boys, is that right? Yeah, yes. Actually, our pastor, Pastor Eugene, he knows all these things. Amazing. When I first met him as a young person, just so amazing. Immanuel Kant, German uh, theologian, philosopher, um, he, he said there's so much injustice in the world, and that's intolerable. We can't face life with so much injustice, and we can't do anything about it. The unrighteous, they've got the upper hand. They, you know, they're in the driver's seat. And the only solace, the only way out is at the end there's going to be judgment by an all-powerful God who's righteous and whose judgment is just and the unjust will be punished and the righteous will be vindicated. And that's actually used as a logical argument for the existence of God. Because if there's no eternal judgment, what's life about? Look it up, Immanuel Kant. You see, the unrighteous hopes and beliefs that there'll be no judgment after death. I think some of you have heard of a church called uh, Mars Hill. Uh, it's named after uh, a place in, Ro- uh, place in Athens. The, the Greek word is Areopagus, Mars Hill. And it, it's referred to in the Bible in Acts 17, the famous sermon of the Apostle Paul in, Acts, uh, in, in Athens uh, to the Greek philosophers and, and teachers and so on. And what happens at the end of the sermon? He talks about the resurrection of Jesus and he talks about judgment. And he's saying you need to react now, make the right choice now in view of judgment and it's eternal judgment. I've already said the woke brigade is, is saying that the Bible is evil. The preaching that most upsets the woke brigade is to preach about hell. You preach about hell, you preach about all sin, whatever the sin is. All sin is going to be punished. That's repugnant to the unrighteous. So, do you look at your life from the perspective from eternity to eternity? And you, are you living your present life? A few more months to, towards the end of this calendar year. Are you living your present life uh, in light of not just the future generally, but in light of eternity. And verse 6 says, For the Lord watches over the way of righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And as I've already suggested, as we read through the book of Psalms, the psalmist on many occasions is facing real problems, injustice, close friends become enemies. And he's struggling. It hasn't been easy. But this verse, verse 6, the end of Psalm 1, the Lord because of our personal interrelationship with him, because we care and we matter to him. Each one of us is precious in his sight. He watches over us. He watches over our way because we've chosen the right choice. We've chosen his way, the way that he has presented for us to live, but the way that we could will perish. So by way of conclusion, uh, you've heard two ways to live. I don't think that's correct. There's only one way to live. The other choice is just existence. Now, many of you are Chinese scholars, and I think there was a wedding recently, and there might be a, a wedding coming soon, and maybe 
other announcements of other weddings. Now, in, in the wedding service, often the reception, if it's a Chinese reception place, uh, is decorated with a special Chinese character, two characters coming together. What is the character or the double character? Don't be bashful, don't be embarrassed. You're afraid to say it publicly? You know, if this was a school class, you know, you, you, you call a student by name and get them the answer. <laughs> I won't do that. Unless you really force me to do it. You know. does, does anyone know the Chinese character? Which one are you more f comfortable in? <laughs> what did you do in China? No, don't answer. <laughs> no, it's in Canto, each character is Hei, and they come together and becomes Seong Hei, right? And in English, we translate it as, as, as? What, how, how would you translate Seong Hei? Suang Chi. How do we translate that into English? Double happiness. You know, when Yuj asked me to, to preach on someone, I thought, all right, you know, uh, and he gave me a lot, a lot of lead time and I did reading and thinking and, you know, what new thing could I say? And I did my study. And then it, I suddenly realized that in the original language, the word blessed is a double word. So Indonesian is one of those things where you reduplicate double words. It's just very hot. It's like, wow, how do you need panas, panas, you know? That is today, it's very hot. And so you have the word blessing repeated, or it's in plural, and it's talking about double happiness. You don't just get blessing, you get super abundant blessing. If you choose the right path, you have the right attitude, you walk and talk with the right action, and you're aware of the eternal consequences. Now, if God blesses you with a son, are you praying for, for God to give you a son when you get married? If God blesses you with, you with a son, will you call him Derek? Uh, my nephew's called Derek. And remember, Derek means path or way. And when we see the word Derek, we're reminded of God's path or God's way. Um, if God blesses you with the daughter, will you call her Sophia? Is that a good name, Sophia? You like that name? Does it have... So... Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. And Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. So I end with an acronym on Sophia. Seek only the path of happiness. And it's double happiness, remember? In adhering. Adhering means sticking to and not turning away from. Adhering to God's revealed instructions. That is God's Torah, God's way of life. And may this psalm uh, 
not only challenged us to read all the book of Psalms, uh, but uh, challenged us to live for God uh, in the present and for eternity. Amen.